Welcome to the pollsters. I'm Margie Omero, Democratic pollster with GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we're back. We're back. The polls aren't back, but we're back. We're back. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be like 40 minutes of silence, (laughs) just like what we did on our winter vacation. (laughs) uh, Tell me, how was your holiday? How was your New Year's? we went, we had a great time. I had such a lovely time. I really was trying to kind of detox a little bit from the shenanigans, um, and I succeeded. And I went to Tulum, which I don't always talk about on the show because I was, like, hoping nobody would find out about Tulum, but everybody knows about Tulum now. I mean, not everybody knows about Tulum, but, like, it's not a secret. It's, like, they – the restaurants used to be just, like, do you want ceviche or guacamole? Those are the two things on the menu. Now they Now they give out bacon, just strips of bacon at the bar, or they pass. They go around in a cart with them. Um, that sounds like the opposite of how you've described the studio yes, in the past. Yes, I know. It's definitely changing. And then, like, you know, handmade ice cream, table side. I'm like, and, like, giant fire machines. And, you know, it's definitely different. There's definitely, like, a Vegas help. So it is no secret. And we still, like, do old Tulum kind of stuff. Anyway, but it was, I was very much trying to relax, like, you know, we met people. They're like, oh, you guys are from Washington. Do you work in politics? And my husband, who normally rolls his eyes when I'm like, well, yes. Do you want to hear all about it? And I was like, well, yes. And I'm like, no, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk shop with anybody. I just want to sit on the beach and watch my kids frolic in the sand. It was lovely. I did lots of yoga, the whole thing. So I discovered as well that the polling world it's a small world after all. Uh, for my holiday, I spent some time down in Florida with my family, did the whole drive, you know, I-95, holiday traffic, yeah. woo-woo, I did it. Yep. Um, but then I spent a couple of days in Argentina. I Ooh. went to Buenos Aires. I'd never been to South America before, so a whole new continent. I right. took off my list. And while I was there, uh, one of the nights, there was a restaurant that was like one of the best steak, one of the best like hot new hipster, right? fabulous steak restaurants in Buenos Aires. But I didn't have a reservation because I didn't plan this trip very well. Uh, and so you, I just kind of got there like 20 minutes before opening and waited in a line. Um, and the restaurant opens at 8 because everybody gets dinner like super, super late in Argentina. Right. So I show up at like 7.30 and kind of hang out outside and – I'm waiting in line behind these two guys who one of them had worked for Lyndon Crosby of Crosby Texture, which is like the pollster to every conservative party oh. around the world. Like I, I, I knew exactly who like my God, we, we knew people in common. Like I went to the opposite side of the planet, stood in line to get a steak. And in front of me was somebody who like is, does, the same? Has done, is in the same industry. So that was... Wow. So I made new friends. That's good. Uh, which was always nice. Highly recommend Buenos Aires if you are into I've always wanted to go. Steak or ice cream. They're really into ice cream huh. there. There's like fabulous ice cream everywhere you go. So I I don't know. Nobody made any table side for me, but <laughs> then you have a it lid. was exquisite. It turns out it's the only way I can get my children to take a photo with me <laughs> together at the same time <laughs> as if they're holding ice cream. <laughs> That is it. Well, excellent. Well, we're back and we're happy to see producer Richard and talk about the polls. Yeah. Whatever polls are out there. Let's talk about the polls. The polls at the moment are a bit like the food that you left in your fridge while you went 
to Mexico slash Argentina yes. and then came back and were like, is this still good? When you take a look at the polls now, there have been in Iowa, there has not really been new polling since mid-December. In New Hampshire, there has not been new polling since early December. National polls, we've got like two or three new ones. But the overall picture, we're going to talk about, is it is it fresh enough to keep these things that have been lingering in the polling fridge the last couple of sometimes weeks? Sometimes the like use by date is kind of bogus. And sometimes... Right. If this is a stable race, not. you can still look at a poll from mid-December and maybe drive it a sniff. <laughs> give it a sniff. See how it is. So we're going to give the polls a sniff Ask today. around. <laughs> is this still good? Uh, why are you asking me? No reason. And then we're going to talk about whether the Democrats need to go grocery shopping because <laughs> this is now a little torture. But yes, yeah, well, that's OK. It's OK. We're we're easing back into this. Uh, yes. We're going to talk about whether the strategy of relying on media pollsters to provide the debate cutoff criteria. Has that become a big problem given the unprecedented polling drought we are experiencing? Right. And then we'll just talk about some of the best polling charts from 2020. 2019. 2019. Wow, I made the mistake in the wrong direction. All of your the best charts. There's like two charts for 2020. <laughs> and they are lovely. <laughs> uh, and we'll talk about uh, resolutions and who the most admired man of 2019 was. It was a neck and neck race. You might be surprised at who the top two choices are. <sighs> or maybe you won't be surprised at all. We will discuss. Let's first talk about the polling drought. I know I'm going a little out of order yeah. here, but let's talk about the polling drought for a moment. So um, if you take a look at polling coming out of Iowa, I think the last poll I saw when I looked this morning was like mid, mid-December. And so this has now become a bit of a thing. Andrew Yang is urging the Democratic National Committee to take uh, to commission more polling um, that on December 21st, he sent a letter. The Daily Beast obtained it. This is from their coverage um, calling for the DNC to commission four early state polls before January 10th in order to encourage more diversity on the stage. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, the last poll from Iowa was mid-December, but the last qualifying poll was from before that. So wow. the debate qualifying poll. So the last one, the Iowa State University, I'm pretty sure is not qualifying. Emerson, as we know, is not qualifying. Des Moines Register CNN is qualifying. That was November 8th to 13th. Wow. Yes. So this is, look, polling has gotten more expensive. So media organizations either have to conduct polls using newfangled measures that might not be what the party counts as a qualifying poll or... They've got to pick and choose how to use scarce resources and when do you do polls in certain states. Plus, you just had the oddity of Christmas and New Year's falling in this like weird, incredibly mega holiday that we had. Perfect storm of like our office has been closed forever. I know. But we haven't fielded a poll in like two and a half weeks. I'm amazed I even remember what to say. (laughs) Where is my office? Where do I go when I I leave the studio? Where am I supposed to go? I know. I feel like when I came back from maternity break where I'm like, hopefully everything that comes out of my mouth still makes sense because that's (laughs) how long I feel like I've been on break. But yeah, you also had debates during that time too, which added a whole other layer of the timing. How do you time around the debates? Thanksgiving, Christmas and and New Year's and when you have the the deadline for qualifying polls is the 10th so it's very close to the next debate so it's January 10th so it's quite likely people are gearing up to go in the field right now you know or in the next day or two so they can be out of the field by the 10th as opposed to do their polling right around the holidays. So that's adding I think to the sense that well it's not a sense the fact that there's not a lot of early state polling. 
the other thing that I think is interesting here is that effectively, and the RNC did this too, but by sort of outsourcing, look, we're going to count on public polls as criteria for our party's nomination process. You are outsourcing a really important and decisive thing to entities you have no control over. So in in Yang's request, he wants the DNC to commission its own polling, which would then raise questions. Each pollster has its own methodological considerations they make about who they think the electorate will be, how they want to conduct it. And that has some effect on who might be up or down because, you know, different parts of the Democratic coalition gravitate more to different candidates. So, you know, how you choose to weight what percentage of your sample will be African-American right. has an effect on what Joe Biden's numbers will be. Yep. So what do you think about this? The idea of the DNC, rather than sort of outsourcing it to this, you know, collection of credible pollsters on the outside, but all of whom make different assumptions. If the DNC picks one pollster and is like, do a poll. I mean, that's also kind of putting your thumb on the scale in a way. Right. So it? I think it. Ref- so I think the request reflects you know, a very strong and reasonable desire that there should be, you know, more data, more polling in these early states, which, by the way, has been a challenge, not just in December, but, you know, there was a time during the summer and before some of the other debates where there there wasn't a lot of Iowa polling for like a whole stretch in the summer. So it's so this is not like something just in December. It's something that's been happening now for a while um, for all the reasons that we mentioned. And also, you know, you have a finite list of pollsters that has been finite now this this whole you know all of 2019 it hasn't expanded or sh- i think one pollster was off the list that was initially on the list you know over time but so you know some a lot of you know a lot of polling outlets on the list haven't even polled or polled just once so it, this list you know looked like it wouldn't be inclusive enough and you know didn't end up having like Lots and lots of polls. Again, that's out of the DNC's control. I think if the DNC did a poll and then, it sh- you know, people could say, well, the DNC did a poll and it showed X. And if you disagreed with X outcome, then is it an independent poll or is it a poll? Is it the DNC, you know, working with a pollster on that? And so I think it would cause a variety of other perception issues. I'm sure whatever pollster would be commissioned in this hypothetical would, you know, have integrity. But I think it's the goal of having more polling that I think is perfectly reasonable, something that, you know, people think is makes a good, you know, makes good sense. I think in practice, I'm not sure how the DNC commissioning a poll at this point after having a variety of rules that were, in, were set all year. Who knows? Yeah, it, this is a it's an interesting conundrum because you could say, well, then maybe let's let's just not count polls at all. But then when you have 20 some odd people, right, I mean, you have to have some way of doing this. So maybe fundraising numbers is, you know, does that sub in for polls? But then it, you're literally letting people kind of buy their way onto the stage. Right. I mean, you can say it's just for small dollar donors, what have you. But this is the lack of polling. Although Yang meets the the donation, yes. So that wouldn't change things, but you know. But um, so yeah. But it, it it also reflects this desire to have a stage that is not all white too, which I think is also a good goal that lots of Democrats share, given mm-hmm. the diversity of the Democratic base um, and Democratic primary we voters. We are taping the show like two hours after Julian Castro announced right. he will be uh, ending his presidential bid. So this is like yet another. You know, the field is shrinking, but it's not necessarily reflecting. It doesn't look like the Democratic Party looks. Not even just the Democratic Party or how the candidate field initially looked, not even just the party itself. So I think that's another layer to this that is important to a lot of voters. And, you know, this is calling, you know, 
I think it's an important thing to think about, but I, I don't know in practice what, what it means. And obviously, I, I feel confident that there will be some polling, qualifying poll, whether it's Iowa or not, out by uh, January 10th, not because I have any inside information, but because it would make sense given the calendar for somebody to go in the field now and not in the last few weeks. So in, 20, in 2008 and in 2012, part of this was mitigated a little bit by the fact that the Iowa caucuses were like... New Year's Day, like hit the ground running immediately after uh, the switch to the new year. And so I wanted to look back at the polling trends, the Real Clear Politics averages in Iowa in like the three months leading up to the caucuses, going back to 2008 to try to see, okay, how how much do things kind of break late? How much do the polls shift in that last month? We're about a month out from the Iowa caucuses this time around. Um, you know, how much fluidity has there been in the past? Past is not always predictive of how the future will go. Um, but it's it's kind of interesting to look back through these old historic charts. So again, because the uh, because the polls in the fridge are a little bit musty, we're just going to like... <laughs> 2008 polling. We're going to the stuff that's been canned <laughs> in the basement. It's not even from this past decade. Not even it's from this from... past decade. But it's I think it's kind of fascinating. You know, the polls in Iowa had the final polling average had Mike Huckabee up by three on the Republican side. He wound up winning by nine. But he really did over that last month and a half went from being kind of down in the pack to being right up at the top, right with Romney, um, you know, in this kind of nail biter of a contest uh, where the polls showed them very close. And then ultimately it was not very close. Huckabee Huckabee won um, by quite a bit in Iowa in, in 2008. So there you did see in that last month a big kind of changing of the contours of that race where you'd had Romney in kind of the Biden position and then all of a sudden Huckabee just sort of surges and takes him on. On the Democratic side, you had a similar-ish story in terms of Obama winning in the end by almost eight points. But the RCP average only had Obama up by plus 1.6 in the end. So if you were looking at the polls, you would have thought, man, I was going to be kind of a nail biter. And the final result, uh, it was, I guess, if you're, you know, between Clinton and Edwards, but it was not really a nail biter, um, Obama versus the rest of the field. Which, side note, seeing the name John Edwards, this is now like the second time that that has come up today. I, I recorded my the, the trend line, my show on Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124, Saturdays at 10 a.m., um, but was talking to a Democratic digital strategist about the ways campaigns have used technology in the past. And in 2008, uh, or maybe it was 2004, the John Edwards campaign set up a campaign headquarters in Second Life. Richard, do you oh, know? Oh gosh, second, right. You guys, yes. I'm getting like, like concerned head nods. Yes. Like, oh god, I remember that. Um, so yeah, this is strange. It's like the second time today I've thought about John Edwards. You're welcome, listeners. <laughs> uh, so you know, in both in 2008, you had can uh, contests that the polls made it look close, but the results were not particularly close. In 2012. The, the only primary was on the Republican side. You saw a really big shift in the last month where Gingrich, which my firm at the time had been doing polling for Gingrich, like Gingrich was riding high. He was up there and like, you know, it was kind of a topsy-turvy contest in right. a way that I think the Democratic contest has not been no, this No, everybody had, like everybody had their time center stage. Oh, look that, at that Herman Cain line. Yeah. Herman Cain was the leader in the Iowa polls um, during November and headed into December. Then Gingrich surged. 
Then you had like a a Paul surge. This was a Rand Paul surge, right? Not a Ron Paul surge. Or uh, pardon me, a Ron, Ron Paul surge, mm-hmm. not a Rand Paul surge. And ultimately, Romney was atop the polls. Santorum, like, he was nowhere to be found until the last, like, week before the caucuses. And suddenly, boom. Where in this timeline was the Herman Cain smoke cigarette? The Mark Block ad? Yeah. Ooh, I don't know. That's one of my favorite. That, Demon Sheep. There are a handful of political ads I love to, like, sit people down who, you know, like a new intern who's, like, a college student who's never, who doesn't remember anything about politics in that era and like let me show you an ad called demon sheep let me show you an ad called mark block smoking a cigarette <laughs> that one that one is was really that one was terrible um but yeah the the if you look back at the last three months of iowa caucus polling in 2012 it is a wild ride and rick santorum is like nowhere to be found and it's only in that last like week or two that he really begins to surge so you iowa does change its mind at the last minute under certain circumstances, does not necessarily mean that will happen this time. What I don't know from looking at these old-timey slides or <laughs> trend lines is everybody's advertising spending. And as we've mentioned on this show, is that you know the advertising spending is really going to play a big role with Buttigieg on the air, Yang on the air, you know, is Warren on the air? You know, she's on the air in Iowa. Is she on the air? Similar numbers in uh, New Hampshire compared to everybody else. Um, Bloomberg and Super Tuesday states where he's skipping the first few contests and is everywhere for the Super Tuesday states. All these things are not – it is not simply – Believe it or not, people are not necessarily responding to, you know, Washington hot takes. They are watching television in their home um, or on their devices. And so uh, so how does all that play a role? And I don't know, like, what Santorum's media was. Like, I mean, a lot of folks in the Republican primary had super PACs with various folks working yep. on their behalf. But I think Santorum didn't. That's what makes the 2012 he had Foster thing. Freeze. Didn't he have Foster Freeze at some point? I, I don't know where it was in this timeline, but he had Foster Freeze, I think, as a outside supporter who then was, who I remember because he went on television was like said a bunch of crazy stuff about women and that was problematic. Anyway, that was sort of the, that was the end of Foster Freeze's MSNBC career, you know, was when he said like incredibly inappropriate things about women on television. Uh, stand by. Was Foster Freeze an MSNBC No, he was just on, not as a career, but as like, he was on like Andrea Mitchell. I remember watching it live and I was like, did I just see, did I just watch this? Where he said something like, so retrograde. Oh, it, it, it was yeah. like from the like 1700s. Okay. Like it was just unbelievable that somebody supporting a major candidate would talk that way on television. It was just like blew my mind. So in... What I think looking back at all these old-timey charts shows, <laughs> one is that the polls in 2008 were were not incredibly predictive. And then in 2012, they also weren't. But part of that, you could say, is late-breaking movement. And if the polls aren't capturing it, yes. um, you know, what happened? Uh, similar-ish, you could say, Dems 2016, where Sanders is, like, slowly creeping up there through those last three months. The final polling average shows Clinton plus four, but the final result was only Clinton plus 0.2. So you can have late movement in Iowa. You know, Trump, the, the final polls in Iowa on the Republican side in 2016 show him beginning to slide, although it also shows Cruz sliding and Rubio surging, and then Cruz winds up winning, I remember Rubio like claiming that third place was like victory for yes, him. And yes, yes. Everyone was like, uh, "That's not really how this works." Yeah, that was um, good. 
So yeah, T- take a look, guys. You know, scroll through old old charts for for funsies. Um, we've got another month of Iowa polling here. This has been a fairly stable race overall, but as we have seen in the last couple of Iowa caucuses, late breaking movement can can and will happen. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will dig into Trump's job approval, impeachment polling, and more. So stay tuned. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. All right, we are back. Uh, Not a whole lot of movement going on in some of our big trend lines because, again, not a ton of polls. Trump's job approval in the Real Clear Politics average sitting right now 44.6% approve. The last three polls in the mix are a political morning consult from before Christmas at 41% approve. Rasmussen is in the mix here at 48. And then Economist YouGov is a pure post-Christmas, pre-New Year's poll. 44% approved. So not a lot of movement there. Um, Impeachment, those trend lines are also pretty flat and not a whole lot of new data there. With overall, breaking it out by party, um, supporting, impeaching Trump and removing him from office is sitting at 47% support. Um, 82% of Democrats, or pardon me, 83% of Democrats, 41% of independents, and 10% of Republicans support it. Now we should note that 538 has changed the way their website and their model shows um, impeachment. And so we've mentioned this on the show a couple times where they had begin versus impeach and remove, but you can't really say there's no point in asking people about that beginning because it's begun, it's happened, you know. Yep. So they now have multiple categories. So they have begin, but they also have support and they have impeach and remove. If you look at the, sort of the full breakout, what they include. And now the main model, which they show by party, just shows remove. It's do you support removing Trump from office? Um, obviously, there can be little differences in the question wording depending on the outlet, but that's the, that's keeping that consistent. So when you look at the uh, at the website, that's that's how they uh, take a look at it. And um, impeachment. Then when they have the party breakout, they have a second party breakout, and that's just for support of impeachment. But they don't have that begin category in kind of the main model and the main data viz. So. Um, so that's good. That's a good update to just show where people are. And you could see that there's not real difference between remove and support for impeachment among Democrats. The difference comes from a little bit of independence and, uh, you know, independence and Republicans doesn't come. Democrats I feel similarly for both those questions. Yeah. So the other thing that's interesting that we talked about a few weeks ago is 538 launching their own uh, national poll tracker uh, with their own sort of, you know, method of 
smoothing the lines and averaging out the data and all of those sorts of things. And so we typically on this show have used real clear politics as our we go grab, do screen grabs, we throw them in our script. We used to use Huffington Post pollster. We used to use Huffington Post pollster, RIP. Yes. Um, But now because there are these two, I think it's interesting to look at how similar or different they are. At the moment, both 538 and Real Clear Politics are telling a similar story about what's been going on with the Democratic presidential nomination contest nationwide. We spent the first part of the show just yep. talking about Iowa. But a quick check in here. Um, there have been two new polls, again, The Economist, YouGov and Morning Consult that have done national Democratic polls. They don't tell a dramatically different story than what we knew before Christmas. Uh, Biden's still in that kind of soft front runner position at 28 percent. Uh, Sanders at 19, Warren at 15, Buttigieg at eight, Bloomberg at five, Klobuchar at three and a half, Yang at three and a half uh, and so on. The story is fairly similar, at least, you know, what we've pulled out here are those top three or pardon me, top four, uh, you know, 538's average still has Biden in that top position at about 28. Sanders, they have him about a point lower in their average at about 18. They have Warren right up where she is at real RCP at 15. And then they have Buttigieg about a point lower at 7.5 instead of 8.3. So they, they have both Sanders and Buttigieg a little bit lower in their average. Um, and it's unclear to me who's the primary beneficiary of that because all of the rest of the candidates, I'm just eyeballing this quickly, they all look to be about the same. Um, you know, your Styers, your Klobuchars, your Gabbards, they all those two look pretty similar. But nonetheless, uh, not a big divergence between RCP and 538 at the moment on the state of the national Democratic uh, primary contest. Right. And I, I don't think there's been enough longevity to having Bloomberg in the questions to really see yeah. what that line looks like. So, you know, he may be a beneficiary since he wasn't in some of these questions not that long ago. So in that respect, he's, you know, gone from not included to five. Yeah. <laughs> or more or less. So so another poll that came out uh, toward the end of the year about uh, some of the names we've talked about, uh, well, Donald Trump specifically, asked people, what man have you heard or read about living today in any part of the world that you admire most? This is an open-ended question. And two men received 18 percent. After them, no man was mentioned by more than 2 percent of respondents. So a clear top two. And those two are Barack Obama and Donald Trump. 18% of U.S. adults say Barack Obama is their most admired man. Um, this is He is the choice of 41% of Democrats, as well as 12% of independents and 3% of Republicans. But Donald Trump is tied with him at 18% of U.S. adults overall, 2% of Democrats, 10% of independents, and 45% of Republicans say he is the person they admire most. I would love a focus group of the 2% of Democrats who say Donald Trump is the person they admire most. That would be fascinating. Yeah. Coming in. Huh. If you click on the link, you could see all the kind of past number of f- top finishers, top 10 finishers that everyone's had over the years. It's another old timey chart because like on the most admired women, for example, um, Margaret Chase Smith and Claire Booth Luce, you know? Ooh. I know. That's a biography I've been wanting to read. I oh, was it's re- so Claire Booth Luce? Oh, you I was reading the, e- the Ava Perone biography on my way down to Argentina, and that now has me, like, wanting to read the Claire Booth Luce you biography. Must. As- you must. It okay. is really good. Like, yes. I, it is really, I mean, it is, like, frothy. Fabulous. I mean, it is, I think you will enjoy it. I Excellent. Mean, I don't know if 
you know, as a Republican, if you've had more of a relationship to Claire Booth Luce, like, and, you know, she come up in, you know, in Republican women meetings there, and no, such, there I don't is know. A, the Claire Booth Luce Policy Institute yeah. is a conservative women's, right. like, think tank organization. Yeah, so you, you really, you should, you should definitely read it, for sure. Um, yeah. For the, I was surprised that she'd been, uh, 18 times she was the one of the top 10 finishers. Yeah, um, that's fascinating. Yeah, Queen Elizabeth, uh, top, top Number of top 10 finishes. She has been in the top 10 51 times. Wow. That's impressive. Um, Billy Graham was the top of most admired man. Uh, He was in the top 10 61 times, followed by Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter at 29 times. That's really interesting. You've got, I mean, again, these are more old timey names for a lot of them, but in part because you have to, you can't be like the new K-pop group and have been. (laughs) <laughs> the top of the list for 50 years. <laughs> right. Um, but they are on the top of the time 100 that we also talk about. That's yes. just not this poll. <laughs> yes. I, every year I learn more about K-pop, specifically From, when we do the we're like, like, who are all these people? <laughs> oh, they're all K-pop bands. <laughs> yep. Um, so, yeah, the, this year's list um, of the top 10 men, the the remainder of the list was Jimmy Carter again, um, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Pope Francis, Bernie Sanders, Adam Schiff, the Dalai Lama, and Warren Buffett. That seems like a nice, well-rounded list, I guess. Yeah. Um, So, Margie, you posted a link in here about fun charts from 2019. Yes. Tell me what your favorite charts were. So, again, old-timey, you know, (laughs) old-timey land, right? Both (laughs) Pew and 538 did, like, here are some of our fun charts of the past year. Um, and so I just th- I thought a couple of them were pretty interesting. I mean, for let's start with Pew. I mean, Pew had a few, uh, 538 did f- like 56 from all their various verticals. But um, what I thought was interesting was one from Pew where they looked at congressional districts and they, and they used a map to show, which I'm sure some folks have seen this, where there's a map of congressional districts and each congressional district is represented by the, 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 the space is the same size. So congressional districts that have a lot of acreage, like Montana, for example, are shown as the same size as a congressional district in you know, New York or Washington, D.C. area or California. So um, so it, it doesn't look like just a traditional map. So that part's different. But then they also looked at districts that had um, large percentages of federal workers with and without, you know, whether or not you include military bases or not. So they did it two different ways. And then districts that were represented by Democrats versus Republicans and that they were similar, that there were just as many Republican districts that had high levels of federal workers as there were Democratic districts at a high levels of federal workers, whether or not you're including military bases or not, like that doesn't really make a difference in the distribution between R and D. So given this whole kind of conversation we're having about the you know federal government and workers and the size of government and so on, um, there's actually not that much of a difference when you look at it at the congressional level, which I thought was fairly interesting. Plus it added like, had some cool kind of complexity to how you would show such a point. So I thought that was interesting. And then the other thing they had is, you know, they do this like Pew typology and looking at trends in party. This is a separate Pew study and separate image. So from 94 till 
you know, 18 or 19, I guess they're 19. And the percent that identify as independents has grown over that time. It was once 33%. Now it's 38%. It's now more. It was used to be kind of tied between D's, I's, and R's. We're basically almost evenly divided now. There are more independents than there are Democrats and Republicans in terms of self-identification. But the percent that are truly independent they don't actually lean D or lean R, which are included in that mm-hmm. 30, 33 to 38%. But the percent that are just pure independent, that hasn't really changed. That's always just under 10%, you know, between 7 and 9%. Like just that really has never changed. And that I found interesting. And you can really, you know, these numbers are not massive shifts, but it's still interesting when you see it in this kind of visual form over time and looking at the leaners, which is an important distinction. Like we often look at things with leaners or without leaners because it makes a difference in what kind of Democrat you're talking about, what kind of independent you're talking about. So you can see that visually reflected here. Yeah, this is so my, one of my favorite charts from 2019 on this 538 list is that one that dives into the murky middle of the electorate. It's mm-hmm. the one with the three green circles that like overlap one another. It's very pretty. It's, it's like, like a, a show-off Venn diagram. Soothing. It's a very soothing kind of chart. Um, but it, <laughs> soothing it looks charts at, for troubled times. <laughs> soothing charts for troubled times. It's got it says you know 32.8 percent of people are moderates. Um, but that does not necessarily also mean they are independent and undecided. Right. That you really only have 2.4% of people who are moderate, independent, and undecided. Um, and that when it comes to independence uh, being undecided, you only have about, it looks like 7% of the population is independent and undecided. Uh, and, well, I guess and then you add in but they're, but they're not moderate. Then if you add in moderate to that list against only 2.4%, very few people sort of meet this like perfect, quote unquote, definition of a swing voter. And I just thought that was a cool chart outlining that. Yes, because uh, moderate is part of ideology. Independent is part of your political identification, party identification. They are not exactly the same. They are obviously there's similarity, but they're not exactly the same. There are Democrats who call themselves moderates. There are Republicans who cause, call, call themselves moderates, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, 538 had a few other things. You should look. There's also a bunch of sports ones, which I don't, you know, I don't understand. There's one, there's one about the best Super Bowl halftime lineups that's based on the success, I guess, or Billboard Hot 100 success. So you could see, like, which are the Super Bowl that had, like, the biggest star power. So that that's kind of entertaining. But um, so looking at the political ones, uh, they had the chart that I thought – where is it? That I thought was kind of visually entertaining. Um, I, you know, 538 does a lot where they just put, like, the faces of the various candidates. And somehow I, that always amuses me. Like, there was one on Bill de Blasio. Or Bill de Blasio is just sort of, like, in the corner of the chart, sort of looking down on the data. And then they have this, like, five corners of the Democratic Party. And I don't know exactly how these are defined, so we could just table that, you know. But the five corners, as they call them, black voters, millennials, the left, party loyalists, Hispanic slash, slash Asian. I mean, it seems like there's probably overlap between those. They're not mutually exclusive categories, but never mind. You can be a millennial and be non-white. I don't know what the left means compared to all these other things. Like, I don't know. But I'm sure there was an article that explained it in, you know, incredible detail. But I just found the chart entertaining because they had different colors in this, you know, pentagon of these five different categories for each candidate in the Democratic primary. They had like a color-coded triangle 
triangle to show where they were or like not even no it's not a triangle but like a you know some sort of shape five-sided shape um, for all these different colors showing where they were strong and where they were weak and with the candidates faces just sort of peering out of the pentagon in a way that i found i don't know it looks sort of like an 80s um like one of those 80s paintings you know that had just like color block neon triangles you know oh yes <laughs> that's yes. kind of what that looks like it to feel, me. it's like the the box of mall madness like the <laughs> board game which i'm what? i'm familiar with because i was just having to clean out my my bedroom closet in my you know childhood room i in did Orlando not have mall madness like, oh margie it's so good <laughs> <laughs> the, the board games i of lived the early madness. 90s yeah for like young women were her uh were extraordinary uh, I just want to add one quick note as I was scrolling through this 538 thing and I you mentioned the Super Bowl halftime lineup one that I am outraged at whatever methodology has suggested that the 2001 Super Bowl halftime show starring Aerosmith, Mary J. Blige, NSYNC, Britney Spears, and Nelly was like middling in mm. terms of star power. Mm. That is iconic. That mm. is an iconic lineup. No matter who you are, there's something in there for you. The fact that Britney Spears, InSync, and Aerosmith combined seem to have fewer points than Maroon freaking five in 2019 is an is injustice. And that's all I have to say about that. I do think that the uh, the highest ranking one being Beyonce, Bruno Mars, Coldplay, and Mark Ronson. Or roughly tied with the infamous Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake yeah. one. Like, I'll allow that. Those are fine. My quibble is not with, like, the tippy-top ones. It's how unfairly scored the 2001 halftime show is. Plus, when you're talking about, like, Prince and Lady Gaga. Yeah, I don't even. I, I don't. mean, just because they don't have, like, seven other people on stage, you know why they don't? Because they didn't need to. Yeah. Because they are one man, one woman, iconic. Anyhow. I mean, I have to say, this is confused. I mean, I'm confused. Why does Usher have more points than Paul McCartney? Like, I don't understand what's going on here. Yeah. Well, and it's also, you can see Justin Timberlake, his score increases over time. So in 2004, he has scored very little. And then by 2018, when he's the solo guy, his performer point score is dramatically increased. So I assume it's some kind of cumulative, like, how many singles have you had or whatever. But I sure. concur with you. Why would then Paul McCartney be so low on this list? That is compared crazy. to Usher, who is uh well Usher who has is been perfectly fought. Fu- Usher there's has nothing been wrong. making hits since okay, I was but in middle he's not clergy. Paul freaking McCartney. I mean, he's not uh, a Beatle. Fair, but I feel like <laughs> if you're surely... going to malign someone on this list, okay. leave our leave Usher alone. <laughs> You want to take a break? (laughs) (laughs) We are mad. (laughs) We're back and we're angry. Wait, women Uh, sing longer than men. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, all right. Well, we'll maybe maybe we should have spent more time on the sports. I like sports. It turns out. (laughs) I had no idea this was what happened in sports conversations. (laughs) Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about some New Year's resolutions. So, oh wait, and no, our third and our third way joint center poll when we come back. Okay, we're back. Okay, so we we had something. This is the one of the few polls that you may have read about over the holiday that was released, and that was a poll that we did with uh, Third Way and the Joint Center um, on African Americans. It was a really 
great. I mean, it was really great. I, I mentioned a little bit in our uh, wrap-up where I said we had worked on a variety of different projects on race and identity and that there was one coming out. This was the that, that one where we did nine focus groups uh, in uh, Atlanta and Detroit and Philadelphia, followed by a survey of 1,200 African-American adults around the country, including uh, oversample and uh, battleground states. And uh, it so there's a full report and full top lines, which folks should take a look at. There was, a, there was an Axios write-up, but there was a, you know, a full deep dive report that goes beyond, you know, just the political, but like the issues that people care about and views on race uh, and gentrification specifically. And the gentrification, well, let me just, you know, start with the big takeaways. I mean, one is, you know, African-Americans aren't monolithic um, in either demographically or attitudinally, which shouldn't be a surprise, but it's just a good reminder. We saw it in the data in terms of party, in terms of ideology, uh, in terms of, you know, even just on demographics, like, what percent, you know, fewer than half live in an area that they call urban. So you hear always like urban issues or urban this, but actually a majority of African-Americans say they don't live in an urban area. They live in a yeah. suburban area or a rural area. So that's an important reminder. We asked about, and this was something that we heard a lot in the focus groups, we would ask people, and we saw it confirmed in the survey, do you feel that uh, Trump is there an increase in racism or has Trump allowed people to, you know, has emboldened people to to say the things that they have always felt? Now they're more they feel free to be more open about their views. And lots of people said the latter in focus group, you know, and again in the survey, almost everybody agreed with that. There was one quote in particular where someone said, you know, it's like Florida in this, you know, it's always hot in the summer. You, you know, you notice it a little bit more, but it's always hot in Florida. And so that was how they viewed racism in America, that it's always there. You know, now with Trump, there's a little bit more of a, you know, focus on it and you notice it a bit more. So um, at the same time, fewer, though still a majority, say that they feel more racism in their daily life. So m- more say that there's more racism or, and people feel more emboldened about racism nationally than say that they feel more of it personally. But that's still a majority nonetheless. Then we asked about a variety of different issues and the issues that people said that, that this was a priority would benefit them a great deal. The things were at the top were, you know, economic issues, making housing more affordable, lowering the cost of health care, improving air and water quality, making college more affordable, et cetera, reducing racism. And like that was a high up there, too. That's in that top tier. It's notable that lower tier, not to say that these aren't important, but lower tier are things that you often hear folks talk about as like, this is what the African-American community wants to hear, things like eliminating barriers to voting, um, strengthening gun laws, reforming the criminal justice system. Those are a little bit lower on the list. Again, all these things are important. African-Americans are going to see a value in government involvement in a variety of issues, uh, given the you know um, party leanings. But still, I think that's worth noting. Um, and then the last thing is we asked a variety of questions in, that Pew asks and about like th- that are kind of typical people would think of as sort of typical signs of like being liberal or conservative, but that's not necessarily so clear cut. Um, so things like, do you need to believe in God in order to be moral or immigrants are, you know, help our community or the role of government? And, you know, there were like really nuanced views there, like a ma- clear majority of African-Americans were 
support of an increase in immigration, and that's similar to Democratic voters overall. African Americans were more likely to feel that one must believe in God in order to be moral. That was not true consistently. You know, there were real subgroup differences, but it is different Mm -hmm. from Democrats overall. So we talked about this because Pew released something about it recently. So we saw that here, too. So anyway, that's the and then the last thing is like people really feel engaged in this election, likely to vote. And Democratic African-Americans were a lot more likely to say that the election is going to have an impact on them, that they're more interested now than they in voting now than they were in 16. That kind of level of engagement we saw a lot more in Democratic African-Americans than in non-Democratic African-Americans. So Great check it study. out. Yeah, very cool. So we'll wrap up the show then by talking about New Year's resolutions. So I love this one. Uh, The Economist has pulled together a chart working with Google Trends and Ipsos to study over the last few years worldwide Google searches for terms like weight loss and dieting. (laughs) And uh, people don't really Google that. In December. Uh, in December. And then a lot of people Google that in January. That's you see something. this. It almost looks like a heart monitor. Of like I know. Every January spikes in people looking for, for weight loss, et cetera. So according to this Economist chart as well, they uh, the share of Americans making New Year's resolutions in 2020 to manage their money better, eat healthier, and work out more are all about equivalent, almost 20%. Lose weight is below work out more and eat healthier, which is probably a good thing because, yep. you know, that's like an outcome. But really, you should, you know, it's it's more about taking care of yourself. Yes. Have better mental health, be more social, develop a skill, be more environmentally friendly. Those are all ones that are um, on this list. And then this is a list that comes Was to Was this us a closed-ended list? We don't know. We don't know. Because, I mean, they say you should make, like, specific goals, you know, not like have better mental health. It's, a lovely goal, but it's kind of too – it's harder to achieve that. Like you have to say like, oh, I'm going to do meditation or I'm going to, you know, take a deep breath before I snap at somebody or, you know, like something concrete you can do, not like just be be better. <laughs> like yep. just do, you know, be happier as like a little vague as a way to have a, you know, be, like, be likely to accomplish your goal. It's my – what I've heard. So this last poll that we have in here, I think methodologically is super interesting to talk about. So it's it's a poll that asks, uh, it says, oh, what are the top 10 New Year's resolutions for 2020? And at first I looked and it said the sample was 274,000 Americans. Yeah. And I was like, how right. do you do that? Yes. So it turns out that it is it is an artificial intelligence patented by a market research firm that uses publicly available online information to create representative what? samples. What? Which sounds not You're making a face? I don't know. And I'm trying to figure out how to verbalize that that face. I, I know it doesn't sound it sounds like I'm not buying it based on that. Yeah. So you're going to survey the internet and use AI to construct what you think a survey of... I don't know. Which then makes the the extreme specificity of the end size, like, really hilarious. 274,779 Americans that were created by this AI? I'm confused. But at any rate, what I really love is the list of results that it produces. Yeah. The number one resolution is actually doing my New Year's resolution. I mean, because... I am sympathetic to that, honestly. It's both nonsensical and totally speaks to me. (laughs) I mean, this is just, like, what popped up because people were writing, like, I, you know, I actually want to do it this time on whatever sort of 
tweet or a blog post or whatever. It doesn't mean that that's a resolution. Somebody at home writing their list has a list that looks like this. This list looks yes, kind of nuts. Yes, if you were creating a list, you would never include that. And frankly, if you were asking people an open-ended question, you would probably not be coding responses as that. But I do think it's interesting that this AI has like determined that the most common thing across all people is not what they want the resolution to be, but being like, no, actually, this time I'm really going to do it. This just speaks to me a great deal right now. Yeah. So this list says actually doing my New Year's resolution, trying something new, eating more of my favorite foods, losing weight, dieting, going to the gym, being happier, being healthier, being a better person, upgrading my technology and staying motivated. I mean, half of these. Generic. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Trying something new could be literally anything and eat more of my favorite foods. It's a resolution like I'm going to eat more, you know, cupcakes. Is that mm, what that is? That's a great resolution. Staying Love motivated resolution. for what? And like upgrading my technology is some kind of like. Like what a marketer hopes people's resolution will be like, oh, this is finally the year I buy a bunch of new stuff, you know, yep. a bunch more things. Like, come on. It does not appear that anyone on this list or any of the lists we've looked at has adopted my resolution, which is I'm going to stop using the snooze button. Oh. It's going to be hard. Well, you know what? It's going to be real hard. So what I what I have, I don't have a concrete now breaking my own set of guidance. I don't know what my concrete step is here, but something about phone usage or like at least yeah. phone usage when I'm at home. You know, phone usage at work is my own business and, you know, that's <laughs> what I need to do. But phone usage at home on the weekends, like I should do something about that. And nobody has that on their list, which I find. No, upgrade my technology is not the same as be more mindful of my no, use no. of technology. So I think you have a good resolution, Margie. I think well, we've, thanks. We've, we've got good, concrete, useful this is good. We're be happy or needs to be a little bit right more direction. specific. Sorry, guys. If these are on your list, you should come up with a, we're, we're, we're We are judging you a little bit. <laughs> yes. A little bit. Not the goal, just the, you know, if you make it too vague, then you can only, you know, then you can only not follow it. Yep. So what have we learned this week? Uh, I don't know. I'm back and <laughs> it turns out I still remember what it's like to talk about polling on the show, so that's good. <laughs> Make sure, you know, just because the exp expiration date on the poll says that you shouldn't look at it, doesn't, you know, give it a sniff. Yes. I'm sorry, I keep coming back to this. No, that's good. I like it. I like it. I think I ignore those more when it comes to food than when, I, when it comes to polls. Anyway, and it's fun to look at your charts. If you have fun charts, you should send them to us. We like to look at people's charts, and I am glad... For one, I'm glad that 538 and Pew and others, you know, go back and share some of their fun charts because that makes me smile. You can find us on Twitter at, at The Pollsters, individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at K. Soltis Anderson, as well as finding us on uh, Facebook where you can post, uh, discuss with other folks who are fans of the show. Um, Share, like, subscribe, tell yeah. your friends as we head into an election year. This is always back in 2016. We saw huge growth in our listener base as we headed into the 2016 election. And we're really hoping to sort of ride that wave again, get a whole new group of folks who are interested in the polls this year. So give the gift of the pollsters. That's right. It's friends. free. It's free. Tell them all about it. Thanks. Bye.